Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, real quick, I'm just going to remind you all, we do have a class starting at 9.30. We're going over Revelation. Uh, we just got through about half of chapter 2. It is a good class. Obviously, I'm going to say that since I'm teaching it. Uh, but I, I do think you, you'd learn something out of it. This was something that I, I specifically in, and intentionally took while I was at Harding. And the class I took at Harding made it made made it made a lot of sense. How am I trying to word that? It made a lot of sense after I took, a lot of, took the class at Harding. Regardless, uh, class is at 9.30 on Sundays. You know, just in life, there are things in which we, you know, we like to set goals, right? And then we will take steps to achieve whatever goal we set, right? So just as an example, there was, uh, I guess it was after my ninth grade year playing soccer, uh, I was little, Right, I was 5'5", 120. I was a small little dude, right? Uh, and so I determined after my ninth grade year, you know what, I'm going to have a workout regimen and I'm going to beef up, right? Really beef up because just as perspective, you know, I was lifting the bar and then only an extra 40 pounds on the bar. That's what I was lifting in the gym, right? And, and so, you know, I hadn't lifted before that and I was just really disappointed in myself, okay? And so I was like, I'm going to really beef up this summer. And so I did. I, I not really beefed up, but I did work out consistently and ended up getting to the point where I could lift an extra 20 pounds next year. And I felt really good about myself and I set that goal and I achieved that goal. And some of the other guys, now just for reference, most soccer guys, they're kind of smaller. Right, that's just how soccer works. We're not like football guys. We're not that big. Uh, we're usually smaller, usually quicker. Uh, that's how it works. And so they were impressed. My, my, my fellow buddies were impressed. Like, wow, what'd you do over summer to do that? And it's like, well, I, I lifted more and Anyway, it was really not that impressive, but at the time I thought it was impressive. Uh, and so my point is, sometimes we, we set goals and then we, we take steps to achieve those goals. But here's the thing. While we can do a lot of things like that in life, we can set goals and then take steps to achieve them, you can't treat righteousness like that. Righteousness is not something you achieve by your own willpower. Righteousness is not something you think in your mind, I'm going to achieve that and here's what I'm going to do to achieve righteousness. No, you cannot do that. You do not achieve righteousness by your own willpower. See, that's one of the main things Paul he addresses in Philippians chapter 3. So if not by your own willpower, how is righteousness obtained? So Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for dogs, look out for evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Dogs, okay? We're not talking about the four-legged creature. We're not talking about Tina's gang of dogs, no. Right? This is probably in reference to worldly Gentiles or Second Peter chapter 2. It might give us a hint. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. What the proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So when Paul says dogs, it might be in reference to worldly Gentiles, or it could be in reference to Christians who have returned to their own vomit. In other words, who have returned to their old ways of living. Now, evildoers, that's pretty self-explanatory. Those who have the propensity to do evil, and then the mutilators of the flesh. 
Now, that would obviously typically be Jewish people, and at this time, there were Jewish Christians who thought that circumcision was necessary in order to be a Christian. This was something they had to address, and you see that in Acts 15, they, they got a council together, and they addressed this, and they decided that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised in order to be Christians. And so Paul, he says, look out for these people. Look out for dogs, look out for evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Why? Why look out for these people? See, though these people might be different in nature, each of those people will draw you away from Jesus. People who've returned to their own worldly living, they'll try to draw you back to that worldly living. Evildoers, that's pretty self-explanatory. They will try to get you to do evil. And then the mutilators of the flesh, in other words, people who are legalistic. At this time, that was legalism. They thought you had to be circumcised in order to be Christian. That's called legalism. And nowadays, some people try to impose certain things on on us. You know, in order to be a Christian, you have to go to this specific church, this specific denomination in order to be a Christian, right? Legalism. Look out for those people. Why? Because they will draw you away from Christ. Now, verse 2, those three kinds of people is in contrast to what we ought to be in verse 3. So, verse 3 says this, For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision? What does that mean, Paul? How can we be the circumcision? Go back to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Verses 9 through 14, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. See, circumcision was a part of the old covenant. It was a physical way they affirmed their covenant with God. But do you see a problem with this? Somebody could affirm the covenant outwardly. They could be circumcised, but not inwardly affirm the covenant. They, they might say, oh, I have faith, but inwardly not really be changed, not really be a servant, not really be a follower of God. How many people do we see living like that? They do the outward things. They come to church, they, they throw in their tithe, they, they, they go to class. But if you're not changed inwardly, if you're not committed to God, if you're not a slave to him, if you're not his, if he doesn't really have you, then what does that outward stuff mean? Nothing. Just as an example of this, consider baptism. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I do think baptism is important. But one thing we all need to be reminded of, when we are baptized, we're not trusting in the water. 
When we're baptized, we're not trusting in the water to cleanse us. We're not trusting in the water to sanctify us. We're trusting in God through baptism. It is God who cleanses you, and it is God who sanctifies you. You're trusting in God. So here when Paul says we are the circumcision, he's saying that we're not just offering a piece of our flesh. We're not just offering external things. We are offering our whole self. We're offering our whole being. We're offering our lives. We're not just being baptized and that's it. People can be baptized but not really offer their lives to God. Paul then fleshes out, uh, pun intended, what it means to be the circumcision. We worship in or by the Spirit of God, meaning we pay homage, we pay respect to God in the Spirit. Now, to worship God not in the Spirit would mean you're just paying lip service to God. Well, why? Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by or walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, if you are not in the Spirit, you're, you're practicing sin. You are just concerned about gratifying the desires of the flesh. So to worship God in spirit means that the Spirit is in us, it is working on us, and we are not concerned about gratifying the desires of the flesh. We are not practicing sin. And as Paul also says, uh, this means that we glory, we boast in Jesus. That's part of being the circumcision. We boast in Jesus because outside of him, nothing is worth, bo- worth boasting about. Paul says we put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh, no confidence in the external things, but confidence in our faith, confidence in God, confidence in Christ. We boast in Christ. And then after this, in Philippians chapter 3, he, Paul, he talks about having experience of being on the other side. He used to not be the circumcision. Paul used to have confidence in the flesh. So look at verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. See, Paul used to think he had things to boast about. He used to think he could boast about the external things, including persecution of the church. Look at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. For context, Stephen, he was one of the seven uh, deacons chosen to serve in the church, and he had just finished preaching essentially the gospel. All right, and so he's stoned. So Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, I love that verse so much. Anytime I hear that in the Bible, full of the Holy Spirit, it reminds me of what we ought to be full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Imagine people so stubborn that they don't want to hear the truth that they literally stop their ears. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
Saul, as we know now, Paul, verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. Saul approved of his execution. Later in that uh, chapter 8, we see Ananias, he's told to go uh, to receive Paul, right? He's supposed to go to Paul. Ananias, said, he says, God, what do you mean? I've heard of what he's done. He's done. He's, he's approved of executions. He's persecuted Christians. Are you serious? Yes, God was serious. See, Paul, then Saul, he was a good Jew. He, he knew the law. He practiced the law to a T. He persecuted Christians, and that's what Jews were supposed to do. They were supposed to persecute. They were supposed to cast out. They were supposed to even kill people who were deemed as blasphemous. And so Paul, according to his mind, he was doing the right things, and he had things to boast about, external things. But here's what Paul says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what he says about all of this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Would you be willing to count things you've gained? Stuff you've really worked hard for as loss for Christ? See, Paul, he gained a high standing among his people. He had things to boast about according to worldly living and, and external things. He had external things to boast about, but that standing... He counted his loss for the sake of Christ. Why was it lost? Well, consider how far he actually was away from God. How far away from the truth he was. He thought he was doing the right things. He thought he was close to God, but it was all a show. It was all just external stuff. He didn't really know God. Do you live your life concerned about what you can accomplish uh, just things you can achieve. Solomon, as we all know, described as the wisest man to ever set foot on the earth. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Solomon, somebody who had what we all have times a hundred says, I've seen it. It's just striving after the wind. Imagine somebody striving after the wind. Picture that in your mind, how ridiculous that would be. Literally appears to be striving after nothing, and that's what Solomon is trying to communicate. This stuff, external stuff, your achievements, what, what you think you've gained, means nothing. Verse 8 in Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Everything external, your, your accomplishments, it all means nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. I'm going to read that again because I really want this verse to sink 
And indeed, verse 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, the sake I, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Sometimes when we read Scripture, it certainly speaks hyperbolically, but here, Paul is not speaking hyperbolically. He means this. Everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Everything. Everything should be counted as loss compared to Christ. Your job, your house, uh, the clothes you have on, the shoes you have on, uh, the church building we're in, everything is counted as loss because of knowing Jesus. Do we live that way? Paul is very serious about this. He's speaking literally. He's not speaking metaphorically. He's he's serious. In fact, he says in that verse, all things are rubbish. Rubbish. Literally, he's saying it's manure. It's poop. (laughs) Yes, I just said poop from the pulpit. But you get my point. It's worthless. And what do we do with poop? We flush it. (laughs) Well, I joke a little bit. Um... I do want to provide a caveat. Paul is not saying you can't have anything. It's not that you can't have clothes, right? That would be a little concerning. Don't come to church next Sunday, please. With, please wear clothes next Sunday. <laughs> that's, that's aside the point. Paul, especially you. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, my, my point is Paul is not saying that you can't, you can't have anything. But we've got to have a mindset that understands we could lose it all. But even then, we can know Christ. Because knowing Christ surpasses, surpasses all of this stuff. We have to have a mindset where we can, we can lose it. We can be so detached from our stuff that we, we lose it and then we still have God. We still have our trust in God. Moving on to verse 9. And be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, the, through faith in Christ. Not having a righteousness that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Righteousness does not come from doing the right things. Because you cannot do enough right things to be righteousness. Righteous. Righteousness comes through faith. Now, your translation may say faith in Jesus, but that's a little misleading. In the Greek, a better translation would be faith of Jesus. So we're talking about Jesus' faith here. Wait a minute. You're saying my righteousness comes from the faith that Jesus had? Well, think about this for a second. Can we have the faith we have if Jesus was not faithful? No. Our faith is dependent on Jesus' faith. We, we can have faith. We can be faithful because Jesus was faithful. So what does this faith lead to anyway? Verses 10 and 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That we may know him. 
that we may share in His sufferings, that we may become like Him in death, and that we may attain the resurrection. What does it mean to share in His sufferings? Well, I think part of that has to do with how Jesus, He suffered in our behalf, or on our behalf. He suffered for us, and so in a way we share with Him in that way. And in another sense, we also share in His sufferings in the way we are called to deny ourselves, to deny the flesh, and that itself is suffering. But what does it mean to become like Him in death? Consider the fact that Jesus, when he died, he himself, he was sinless. Right? And because of the blood he shed, that blood now cleanses us. And so for those who are in Christ, for those who have received that blood that cleanses them, then when they die, they are counted as sinless. So I think that's what Paul's talking about here. When we become like him in death, we become like him because he has cleansed us. Continuing on in verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to the, what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul, he understands that uh, becoming like Christ, it's a lifetime process. Unfortunately, in our society, as I think, we'd all understand, we, we like instant gratification, right? I, I just think the other day, I was, my phone was dead, right? And I plugged it in, I was like, oh, come on, charge. I might have got a message from Eddie or something, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be that concerned about that. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but my point is, you know, I, just waiting a few minutes, I was like, ah, oh, come on, hurry up and charge, right? We like instant gratification. But you're not going to get instant, instant gratification when it comes to becoming like Christ, Becoming like Christ is a lifetime process. So just hold on. I've seen so many people at the, the camp that we attend uh, in the summers. So many people, so many friends that I used to have. Some of them, they, they latched on to Jesus and they're still latched on. And then there are some who, they initially did, right? Uh, they, they professed Christ, they, they were passionate but then they said to themselves, I, well, I just I can't seem to overcome this sin, so I'm just going to give up. Wasn't that the point of Jesus dying? Because we could not overcome our sin, Jesus died for us. So you cannot overcome sin on your own. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot change yourself on your own. It is Christ who cleanses you, and it is Christ who changes you. But one thing Paul does say he can do in, this, in these verses is he says he can forget. He can forget what was. He can forget what lies behind. Which, this brings me to, a, I guess, a personal address. I've heard a lot of talk of what this church was. And it's not that I don't care. But the reality is it's not what it was. I know that causes pain. I know that causes heartache. You, you think about the people you've lost. You think about the people you wish you could have back. The reality is, it's not what it was. And as long as we're looking back, are we looking at Christ? Sure, the church may have been 
200 members, whatever. But as far as I'm concerned, when I read the text, the first thing we should be looking at is him. Not the past. Not who y'all used to be. Not what this church was. But who you can be in Christ. Continuing on, verses 15 through 21. That those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold on to what is true and what we have attained. Brothers, join in 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 imitating me. My goodness, my tongue got tied there. Imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus and Lord my beloved. See, if you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you can very easily become an enemy enemy of the cross. Whether you're looking at the past or whatever might compete with your, your vision set on Jesus. You see, there should not be anything competing with you looking at Jesus. The past, the present, or whether you're concerned with, oh, I don't know, how the, where, where the church is now. We've got to look to Jesus. Because Jesus can make us so much more than what we are. I really hope that you can have eyes to see him. And I really hope that you can have ears to hear him. And maybe you need to take a step in the right direction. Maybe you just need prayers. Maybe, maybe you've gotten a lot of doubt in your mind. Maybe you're, you're really anxious You're not sure if you can do this. Well, again, you can't, but Christ can. Maybe you just lost your faith, your trust in Christ that he can actually work in you and through you. Maybe you haven't even begun that journey. Maybe you need to be baptized, immersed into him. Whatever you need, prayers, baptism, whatever, you can come as we stand and sing.